Thank you for tuning into the Starkey Multifamily Podcast. I have Sam Bates here with me. Sam uh, operates over 374 units, and we're going to kind of talk about how he got there and a little bit of the systems that he's created and and uh, how he got there. So, Sam, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Reed, for having me on the podcast. It's an honor, and look forward to sharing my knowledge with you. All right, thanks. I appreciate it. So, Sam, let's let's roll right back to the beginning. So, what what got you started into uh, into real estate? Well, um, I was a finance undergrad, and I thought about going and getting my master's in real estate, but um, I decided to get an internship at a large financial institution. And after the internship, um, they offered me a full time position, so I accepted that. And then I decided to go back to school. And I got my MBA and then master's in personal financial planning. And I was planning on being in equities for the rest of my life, but the market crashed. Um, I couldn't find a job except 100% commission at 23, 24, however old I was, I figured I'd starve. So I got a job at a consulting firm and it just wasn't the right fit for me. I was working a ton of hours um, doing different things I didn't enjoy. So I started researching real estate and I found um, that she could invest as a limited partner in apartments. So I invested in um, one syndication as a limited partner. And through that process, I started buying single family homes simultaneously because about halfway through the first syndication, I realized it wasn't going as well as it, it should have. And I wanted to have the control and I wanted to be just be responsible for my financial future. And at that time I could buy single families for single family homes for under a hundred thousand with the rehab. And I just started doing that. And I either bought and held flipped or I did one spec build and I totaled about 18 of them. And through that process, I realized it'd take a long time to get to where I wanted to eventually be. So I started looking at, buying small apartments and um, nothing materialized, but I ran into a guy who I used to work with at one of the consulting firms and he was kind of doing the same thing. So we decided to partner up and that's the path we decided to take was to go into um, smaller multifamilies. We looked for about two years, this was 14 to 16 and we either, at that time they thought the market might've busted. So we had, we were underwriting the deals conservatively. And then also a lot of the brokers weren't giving us a chance because we were young. They didn't think we could raise capital. We weren't um, intertwined with any of the real estate groups that raised capital for you. So we just weren't getting a deal. And then that's why we brought in our third partner who's a developer. And we actually started developing apartments before we bought any. And then that kind of led us down the path of multifamily. Um, so, so yeah. 374 units now, have you developed all those or how did you acquire those? We've developed two. Um, our first development was actually a mixed use is 10,000 square feet of retail space in a 60 unit apartment complex. And then we developed another 48 units and then we've acquired four properties for the other however many units. And right now we're building a total of 300 units as well. All right, so uh, I'm gonna back up a little bit because we, we said we could talk a little bit about it. The deal that you were a limited partner on, so you said there were some problems with it. Um, can you say what they are and maybe some lessons you learned that you could tell somebody that's looking to invest passively 
you know, what they would do to prevent getting into trouble like, like that? Yes, definitely. And I, I think who you partner up with in a syndication is key, um, especially if the market corrects or when it corrects, an experienced syndicator or experienced investor will be able to weather the storms possibly or probably better than a new person or new syndicator. Um, so I partnered with a guy who had 10 to 20 years experience. Um, I think was saying that I think there were some issues that he had never dealt with. The asset was in a pretty good area of Dallas, but there's pockets in that submarket that have a lot of issues. And one of the issues where we had a lot of gang violence, the tenant profile, he didn't think was as bad as it actually was. And he just started his own property management company. And frankly, they couldn't manage the tenant base. So after he managed it for a while, he fired himself, brought in another third or brought in a third party. They couldn't handle the tenant base. So we had to remove that third party. We actually removed the GP from, from the syndication. Um, and luckily we had, well, one was an LP um, who had a background. He, well, he had an MBA from Stanford and maybe an undergrad from Stanford or Northwestern. He had worked at AT&T for a long time. And then one of the guys under the GP, he was quote unquote, I guess a co-GP and it was his first dildo. So they combined forces and took over um, and with their assistance and the other third party were able to write the ship. And over that time frame, we still annualized an 8% return. But when we bought the property for like, I think 13,000 a door um, mm -hmm. in Dallas, we wow. should have a lot better than what we did. Oh, that must have been quite a while ago. 13,000 a door in yeah, Dallas? It was, it was 2010. And now... I'm looking in that area actually to buy assets and assets now are trading in the high nineties or hundreds um, yeah. that are in probably worse shape than what that property is now. So um, it could probably trade now anywhere from one to 120 a unit. That's insane. So you said that you actually kicked the GP out. How, how did that happen? Well, in the operating agreement, there was um, a threshold of the limited partners that had to approve his removal. And we met that mark um, and by voting for it. So it was actually a pretty easy process. Um, the thing that hurt after we removed him, obviously once he was removed, he didn't wanna stay in the, with the apartment and we had a bridge loan. So when the bridge loan term came, nobody could guarantee long-term debt. So we had to sell it. Um, if we would have been able to hold on to it, we could have done phenomenally well with it. And I, th I think the, new, the final third party that we brought in did a good job. The two people that became GPs did a good job, but obviously it was the market also. I mean, nobody could have predicted in 2010 where the market is now in 2019. Yeah, that's for sure. So that's a, that's a pretty good story. It's, I've never heard of anybody removing the GP. So that's, um, it, it, it doesn't happen often, but it, it has, or at least I've experienced it. Yeah. It's kind of cool that that option was in there and that you were able to get that, but how do you, how do you, so, I mean, you don't typically know who the other LPs are. How did you get together to create that vote? Um, well, luckily the way we, the way I invested was through a real estate organization in Dallas and all the limited partners were in that organization. 
Um, so some of them had previous relationships, but also we would meet on a quarterly basis or maybe even more frequent than that. So people got to know each other and just with the constant communication and emails, there was talk that could go back and forth and you, you can make a decision easier than, I know some general partners don't communicate that often or they don't have meetings. Um, that's one thing with some of our investments, I try to have at least yearly meetings, sometimes more than that. Um, but some of the LPs either don't want it or the property is not close or the LPs up in New York or Washington or forever where it just doesn't make sense. So um, we'll obviously we'll have monthly communication and if we're going through a rehab or different things that happen throughout a month, we'll communicate more if that's necessary. So, um, you know, I know, I know we're getting a little off topic, but so is there any advice that you would be able to give um, that something that you could have known going into it that would have told you, hey, this probably isn't the best place for me to put, put my money into? I, I think I could have vetted the sponsor a little bit better and asked more questions. Um, but I, I felt comfortable with the location it was. And at that time, um, buying it for 13,000 a door, you would have thought you could do really well in it. And I don't know if I would have changed anything because I still think 8% isn't bad. I mean, that beats the stock market a lot of years, but it just gave me the mentality that I can't control another person. I couldn't control the stock market when it crashed. Um, so maybe I'm a control freak, but I'd rather be able to be the one I'm having to look myself in the, in the eyes than somebody else. And I will hold myself more accountable than somebody else might. Well, I think, I think that's probably pretty accurate. We were just trying to discuss that my partner and I of, uh, you know, what is the emotion that we're selling? So apartments is the commodity, you know, what is the emotion? And, and essentially that's what it came down to is the 401k, you're just putting money into the abyss and hoping it comes back, you know, and you're trusting somebody you've never met, talked to, whereas here, at least you get to know the, the, the GP partners, you get to talk to them, you know, you can call them, you can ask some questions and you feel like you have a lot more control over the deal, even as a limited partner um, compared to a general partner. But so. I, I completely agree. Um, with, with stocks, if the CEO of Coke or another large company does something that he maybe shouldn't have the stock will plummet or if there's something that happens in Asia or Europe, I mean, the, the American markets are affected as well. Whereas if you have a hard asset that's backed by real estate, it's a lot harder for it to have an impact on or be impacted by something that happens in Asia. Or even if a general partner does something foolish, it's not going to affect the value of that asset like it would if a CEO, CFO, general manager, something did something foolish of a corporation. Yeah. So, um, so the, you mentioned the two other partners, the one that um, you had worked with and then the developer and you've created uh, the three of you have done all those 374. Those are all yours. Yes, they are. And you've done the money raise and the sponsor. Y yes. Um, so the acquisitions we've syndicated and raised money for um, the one of the developments we've syndicated, the other developments we've JV'd with one family. Um, and then we've done a land development, which was a 200 acre lot development that we turned into a residential subdivision. That we did a joint venture 
Um, so we'll um, use different uh, creative, I guess, financing techniques to fund the deals, but all the deals we've done, we've brought um, capital to, to the deal as well. Um, we believe in what we're investing in and we want to take part on the upside and not just on the promote. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so to do that, you've, we've talked, uh, was how we originally got talking was a little bit about your systems that you've been starting to put into place. Cause it really, at, at that size, it really becomes, you've got to start having systems of doing things. You can't just put them together. So, um, what are some of the ones that have worked for you and, and how's that gone? Um, I think the first system that we put in place that's been phenomenal for us, and I don't even know if you'd call it a system, but um, one of my partners, the guy I met at the consulting firm, he's a CPA. I had spent 10 years in tax, so we started doing the bookkeeping, and it just we realized it was bogging us down. It wasn't the best use of our time, so we've outsourced bookkeeping and brought a lady in, um, and she's been with us about a year, and she's just taken off the burden for us and she's been able to review the third-party property managers financials and um, receipts in greater detail than we might have time for so that was a big that was a big help to our business um, we started writing uh, SOPs or standard operating procedures where we follow the same steps and processes for different tasks and activities that we do um, some of the property managers we've hired or newer to the business like us. So we came up with an SOP that we expect the property manager at every property we have to do certain things each, each month, each year, each week. Um, so they just have a better idea of our expectations. Um, I think one thing that's gonna be a big benefit that we're doing right now, mainly to our investors and it'll save us time, but we're implementing uh, investor management software and that will allow the investors to log in and look at all their investments kind of like you would with Charles Schwab or some um, stock portfolio you have where it gives you real-time information. Um, it also streamline, streamlines the PPM process. Um, we were sending everything PDF. This will be all through DocuSign or some form of DocuSign. I know we've talked to attorneys in the past and they're concerned about that because it's a electronic signature and not a wet signature, but as this industry increases in technology, more people are going to the um, electronic signatures. So I'm comfortable with that. And then um, my, my third partner, he's had a development construction company for 20 years. So we already had a lot of policies and procedures in place for that company. And we're just helping instill a little bit more structure around those. And since we've developed or are developing over half of our asset or half of our units that needs to be sound and we need to make that like clockwork. Um, you can't obviously do that with the cities um, because each city operates differently and has different timelines, but from the actual development, doing the groundwork to the putting in the tenant, that can be like clockwork. So you said the first thing you delegated was the accountant, which I think makes probably the most sense because that's probably the easiest I would imagine. Um, so did you hire a, like a CPA or did you train somebody to do it? Well, we have a CPA and they're, they, they specialize in real estate, but we also hired a bookkeeper and she had an accounting, well, she's an engineer, but she had an accounting background for years. So, and she had experience in QuickBooks, which we use QuickBooks for all of our 
counting. Um, so it was a really easy transition um, to bring her in and she, she could run without much supervision. Um, obviously, some things you think in your head you don't communicate and that's one reason we're starting to put in just different procedures and like how just naming files in a folder, having the same naming convention in every folder for every entity or project helps out. Um, and we implemented that probably six months ago. Um, and it just it saves you time from looking at documents where they might be somewhere and they aren't, or you think it's somewhere and it's in another place. So where do you start with that? Do you try and build the whole system at first or you do hire the, hire the bookkeeper and then start saying, okay, well, every time you put made a folder, let's do it this way. And then, you know, just kind of do it as, as mistakes happen. Uh, ideally you'd like to start out and plan out everything first, but realistically, I think that's impossible for any business to do. I mean, we've done 10 to 11 pro about to start our 11th project in about three years. So I feel like a lot of times we're running with our hair on fire. So we, at least we haven't been able to set out everything and then do it. It's trial by error. Some is mistakes. Some is just, once we do something, we realize there's a more efficient way to do it. Um, like underwriting, I've been underwriting, really I've been underwriting apartment bills for about 10 years, but it, it ramped up in the last five. So even over those last five years, I found ways to be more efficient in underwriting and um, different things like that. So are you outsourcing underwriting or are you still doing that? No, we're, I'm still doing that. That's personally one of my responsibilities. I would like to outsource underwriting and maybe it's just a control thing, but there's, I know a lot of people will outsource to virtual assistants over overseas. And I think they could probably do a lot of the upfront in data entry, but to figure out cap rates and different things and different submarkets, they might not understand all those techniques, but we're in the process of, or we're talking about who our first employee is going to be um, full time. And that's one of the things we're trying to decide if it should be more asset management underwriter or if it's going to be more of a marketing type person. Um, I'm very comfortable underwriting um, the asset management side and all three of us really don't spend much time on marketing. All the capital we've raised have come from relationships that we've previously had. Um, so the marketing might be the first direction we go. Now you said you created some procedures for your property manager. Um, how do you decide what's, what's crossing the line of managing, you know, of micromanaging your property manager and the things that you just, that's the reason you hired them is to do some yeah. of that. It's, it's really a tough balance and I don't have the best answer. Um, we actually just, we're in the process of letting one property manager go just because they weren't doing the job that they should have been. Um, and we had another property manager where we agreed to exactly how each unit turn was going to look. And they were sending us pictures initially. And I went toward a couple units and everything looked exactly like we said. And then six months go by and I realized that the units were looking different than what we had agreed upon. And you have to trust that they're doing their job, but you also need to verify. And I think it depends on the property manager's personality and also the company. Um, some need to be more micromanaged than others. Um, even within the same company, I deal with two different regionals and they, 
their personalities are different. One, I think, is a lot more hands-on. One's a little more hands-off. Um, and so you just kind of have to gauge really who you're dealing with. But um, I try to have weekly calls with every property manager. We obviously have monthly communication from the financials and looking at the financials. So you just have to gauge kind of their limit because you don't want to micromanage because at least me personally, whenever I was micromanaged, when I was at, in corporate America, I started to perform worse and just kind of shrink up. So I never want to put that on any property manager and always ask for feedback and get the feedback. And if I mean their expectations or if I'm overbearing or things like that. And then you talked about an investor portal. Do you mind sharing which, which software you're looking at? Yes. Um, we looked at several. Um, I think we looked at five and we decided to go with IMS, which is investor management systems or solutions. Um, mm -hmm. It seemed like they were on the more expensive end of the systems we looked at, but I felt like their software system was the most robust by far. And to where we want to go, I don't want to implement something and then a year or two down the road decide to re-implement or implement another system because right. it just has more capabilities. But um, from all the ones we looked at, I don't want to say any of the other names um, just to not badmouth them, but I thought theirs was by far the best for at least our needs. Yeah. I mean, I think it's critical, especially when you got, you know, the volume that you've got. I mean, it's... Um you know, so you want to look professional, you want to look like you know what you're doing and, and just kind of having it haphazard doesn't really work, but that's part of a system too. So that just has, you know, they're interested. So they come on and then they, they say, okay, well, they can look at all the documents that you have available to them. You know, they can click where they need to. And then when they, when they're ready, then that's right there. They don't have to call you or email you. They just go on their portal and say, okay, let me sign the PPM and we're good to go. Yeah. And now we've gotten some referrals and like during the capital raise process, obviously we have a PPM and we have a great business plan and a nice slide deck and it all looks, it looks professional. And then when we send out the subscription documents and everybody's having to sign it with a pen or some will do electronic signature, but it's not all from one same uh, system. They send them, they send this documents back and they're all out, out of order or um, they'll only send certain documents back when they should have sent the entire package. And it just made a lot more work for myself. So I think it's going to take down in my time just from dealing with kind of petty hourly work that a system can easily take, take advantage of and remove that hardship. Or you could bring in an hourly admin type person to do. Yeah. So your, your SOPs that you're creating, how are you storing and organizing them so they're searchable and, and so forth? Right now, um, all of them are written out in Word, and then the underwriting template um, is in Excel. That's how we underwrite deals. Um, I'm recently, I've started thinking about possibly using Zoom or another software to record it. And I think that might be more interactive and you can explain a little bit more than just cut and dry typing it out. I, I've talked to several operators and they're starting to do that for their protocols and operating procedures. So I think that's where we will probably transition to in the future. Yeah, it makes sense. You could host them on uh, there's a website that just specifies on hosting training videos. I yeah, I'm, I'm in a monthly mastermind with four or five different operators. And one of the guys said that probably two or three months ago, I just can't remember what it was, but I plan to go back through my notes and 
look and see what what it is. Okay, so that's exciting. So um, moving forward, what are some big um, procedures that you want to tackle? I, I think moving forward, we like I said, since we've done, we've completed or in the process of completing ten projects in three years. My two partners and I have kind of overlapped in different duties, and frankly, Michael and I, we we have very complementary and similar skill sets. And some of the things he does, I do, and vice versa. And if he's out of town, I'll handle it. And if I'm out of town, he'll handle it. So I think we're going to um, get down and just write out exactly everybody's job duties and functions. And from that, then we'll start basically creating um, job titles for employees or job duties for employees and yeah. have like, 20 tasks that they need to do on a regular basis and then decide which four are the most important and probably hire based on that. Um, but I think after we have the investment management software implemented, the next phase is we'll go over to the development side and look at all those processes and documents and spreadsheets and everything that they have and look at either software to implement to help expedite all that or just try to refine it because we're, we've realized we need to have a niche market and we can do something that most people, especially probably 95 or more percent syndicators can't. And we've, all of our developments have been in tertiary markets and they've done really well for us. So I think we're going to start focusing and trying to attack that before other people do. And that will be more from a development side than an acquisition side. Interesting. So do you get um, a lot of funding from the local governments to do that? No, we haven't got any funding yet. We luckily we just are able to structure the, the bank debt and then raise the equity. And then we put an equity, obviously, where it's we haven't had an issue raising funds. But we do we usually raise on, on the smaller deals because all the developments we've done are 48 to 68 units, except one is 252. And that we had to go through a regular syndication process. But um, this, all the other ones, we've been able to bring in one large investor, two investors, and kind of get the capital taken care of. So um, it's, it's easier to do than syndications. And it's in some ways, it's quicker, but the time frame just takes a long time. But I mean, to We've, we've acquired one property this year and I've underwritten over a hundred deals. So it's, it's hard to acquire assets as well. Yeah, it certainly is. So how, uh, how would somebody get a hold of you if they needed to get a hold of you? Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, the best way to reach me is sam at trinitycapitaltexas.com. I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook. And then if you want to call me, uh, I'll, um, be glad to speak with you. My number is 972-855-7654. Awesome. Well, it's, uh, it's some excellent information that you gave us, and I, I hope our listeners will um, definitely enjoy, enjoy that as much as I did. So appreciate you coming on, Sam Bates. Uh, it, was, it was a pleasure. Well, thank you for having me, and it's always great talking to you, Reed.